following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. Well, last week, Pastor Bob opened uh, kind of a new series for us that we're pursuing called Defining Discipleship. And we just wanted to take some time to really look at what discipleship is. What does that look like? Um, When we talk about discipleship, what do we mean? He brought a powerful word um, about kind of the mark of a disciple. How do I know that I'm a disciple? What is the result of true discipleship? And he talked about how Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love that that is really the thing that rises to the surface when we step into true discipleship, is that we walk in a kind of supernatural love. He talked also about being careful about what we are being discipled by. The reality is that every moment of every day, we are being formed by something. We're being formed by every word that comes to us. We're being formed by what we're giving ourselves to in our thoughts. We're being formed by something. So whether or not you're in a discipleship program, you are being discipled. You're being formed by something. And so he talked about just cautioning us to consider, what am I being discipled by? He gave us a really good, uh, simple question to ask. Is this thing that I'm giving myself to making me more like Jesus? Do I look more like him? Is it it more like him because I'm pursuing this thing than, than if I wasn't? Does it make me more like him? Another question we can ask is, does it does it help me to love others better? (laughs) Because Jesus said one of the marks of the disciple is that you would love one another. And so it's a really good question that we can ask as we find ourselves giving ourselves to things, does it make me more like Jesus? Because I want to be a disciple of him. The other thing that he talked about was just a little caution for being discipled by things outside of Jesus in the way that it can actually lead to division when, again, the mark of discipleship in the church is unity. And so he talked about just being careful about what we follow and that we make sure that what we're following is Jesus. And so it was a good good fatherly word about discipleship and being mindful and intentional about what we're being discipled by. I have to start with defining discipleship because I can't help myself, that's how I have to start. So I want to make sure when I'm in a conversation about something with someone that we're all using the same playbook, that we're all using the same definitions. And so sometimes we can think about discipleship and we have our idea of what that means. I can think discipleship is the quiet time that I spend alone with Jesus, and to some degree it is. Sometimes we can think discipleship is a program that you go through when you first come to salvation, and it's that first eight weeks after salvation, that's your discipleship. 
So we can have an idea of what discipleship is, and the word talks a lot about discipleship, and I think it's important for us to know when Jesus talks about discipleship, what does he mean? Because that's really what matters. So when Jesus talks about discipleship, we need to recognize that he's referring to something that he didn't actually invent. The early church didn't invent it. Alpha didn't invent it. Not even Jesus invented it. The, the whole thing of discipleship and to be a disciple was already a practice that was in place, and it meant to be a learner. But not just a learner, it was one who learns from experience. It denoted somebody that actually learned through the experience of walking alongside somebody in a lifestyle as a follower. And so this was a practice that already existed in the culture that Jesus walked in. It actually existed in the Jewish culture, but it it existed also in the Greco-Roman culture, that there were disciples And so it's interesting that we kind of try to define it as what we think of it, but I want to know what did Jesus mean when he talked about discipleship? So we're going to look at Matthew. This is going to be probably a familiar passage to most of you. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. This is what a call to discipleship would look like, not just by Jesus, but in the whole cultural dynamic of discipleship. Verse 18, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who became Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Do you ever wonder why Andrew didn't get a new name? (laughs) I don't know. I always wondered. Maybe he did. Maybe we just don't get to hear about it. Uh, So Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. And they were mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. It's it's an interesting sales pitch that he's walking by, and he says, follow me, and they go, okay. Maybe they didn't like fishing. Maybe they're like, anything would be better than what I'm doing right now. I've often wondered about that. I've often wondered, what was the discussion with their wives? How was your day? Good, I quit my job. Why? This guy walked by and he said, follow me, and so I did. And I've wondered, what what was it? The Bible makes it clear that Jesus wasn't necessarily, there wasn't an attraction to him as, as a physical man. There wasn't something about, but what we need to realize is that they were responding to something that was a cultural norm in that day and age. They were responding to an invitation and, and for us to really be able to respond to the invitation of discipleship, I think we need to know the fullness of what that was. 
Because the reality was, responding to the invitation, they knew nothing yet about what he believed or, or what his teaching was. They were not responding. He, nowhere does it say he presented the gospel to them and then he, they responded to that. They were responding to the person of Jesus saying, come and follow me. And we need to recognize that our response to Jesus isn't just a response to say, yes, I will believe this. Yes, I will do this and act that way. Our response is, I'm going to follow you, the person of Jesus. And so they were, but why? Why would they do that? Why would they follow this random guy? So we need to recognize that there's something more to that picture. And here's what is a reality. Jesus was a rabbi in that culture. He was a rabbi, and he was known as a rabbi. And every Hebrew boy grew up dreaming that a rabbi would call them to follow. But most of them were disqualified. Most of them didn't have what it took to be a disciple. So when a rabbi walked by and said, follow me, they, that was like being asked to play for the NFL. It was being chosen. How many, how many young boys playing little league or, or little whatever bruiser football or how many of, I don't know, we didn't have football players. Uh, how many of them, just seemed really dangerous to me. We didn't. And he wasn't really built for football. <laughs> but he did actually play one year. Anyway, um, how many of them, would, they want, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to play for the NFL. I want to play for the, for the Twins. But how many of them are actually going to do it? Not a lot of them. And that's the way it was as it related to being called to be a disciple of a rabbi. Everybody set out with the intention of, I, I want to be, called to follow a rabbi. And so every Hebrew boy had that desire. So they received that call, that being chosen, because they had already been passed up. They had already been told, you're disqualified. But Jesus walked by and said, I'm choosing you, come follow me. That's the invitation he's given to us. How many of us have felt disqualified? How many of us have felt inadequate? But he says, no, I'm choosing you. And we can respond to it with the same immediacy that they responded. This is why Jesus was actually in the temple reading scripture. We see in the gospels that at some point he's in the temple reading scripture. Why? Because he was a rabbi. He was allowed to do that. He was called in to do that. He was allowed to open the scrolls and to read the scripture. It answered a lot of questions for me because otherwise I'm like, wow, did, were they like in a trance? Jesus walked by and he said, follow me. And they go, I will follow. <laughs> no, they made a choice and their choice was precipitated by the fact that he made a choice. That's why he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And we are the responders to that choice. So 
that was the choice he was putting before them. Every Hebrew boy wanted to be called by a rabbi, but very few were qualified or capable. And this is why. This is what's required. So the first step, every, every Hebrew boy would go through from about the age of five to the age of six, somewhere in there. If you're a historian, a Jewish historian, please forgive me. We're just going to do crib notes here, and I'm going to get as close as I can. But from about the age of five to the age of six, they would memorize the book of Leviticus, the book of law. They would memorize it. And if they, can you imagine your six-year-old memorizing the book of Leviticus? Right now, some of you are going to be like, I homeschool. My kid has... Just kidding. So they memorized the book of Leviticus, and if they could do that successfully, if they passed the memorization test, then they could continue on into the next schooling to maybe hopefully someday be able to be a disciple of a rabbi or become a rabbi. And that schooling was between the ages of 6 and 12. It was considered the school of the book, the school of the book. And in that time, they memorized the entire first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they have to take a memorization test that proves that they have memorized those first five books where the, the, um, the rabbis, the, the teachers of the law, would give them a hook verse that would remind them of a passage and then they have to recite the entire passage. That's why sometimes when the Bible, this is just an aside, it has nothing to do with what we're doing, but that's why sometimes in the New Testament, when there's like, um, there, Paul is teaching, you know, and he's saying, you know, just like this, and they refer to a verse in the Old Testament, sometimes you read that and you're like, that makes no sense at all. Paul says, this is true, da-da-da-da-da, because this. And then it quotes an Old Testament verse. And to us, we go, I don't, I don't get it, Paul. I don't see what the... That's because the verse he's quoting is the hook verse for an entire passage. And if you were to read that entire passage, you go, oh, yeah, that's exactly in line with what you're saying. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. But it's helpful to us. It does have something to do with something. It's helpful for us to recognize... What a beautiful um, intersection there is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and how, how much more we can understand about New Testament life when we understand that it was all a setup. <laughs> Everything from the Old Testament was a setup for us to walk out this New Testament life in Jesus as a follower. Okay. So you're 6 to 12 years old, and you have to memorize the entire Torah, and they test you on your memorization of the Torah. And then, that's just, that's just your ticket to get into the actual exam. The actual exam, because you've already proven you've memorized the Torah, but then there's an exam to get into the next step, which again, very few people can qualify for. So we're whittling it down. This is like going from Little League to college ball, okay? And so there's an exam based on your ability to ask questions about the Torah. The entire exam is about, do you know how to ask 
good questions of the text so that you can continue and keep a conversation going about who God is and what he's like and what he's done and what his character is. That was the test to move on into the next place. It wasn't having all the answers. It was knowing how to ask questions that led us to the truth of who God was. I think sometimes in discipleship, we can get all ruffled by questions. We can get all concerned about people asking questions when that is actually the mark of a true disciple. We can get concerned about questions because we think questions leads to deconstruction. (laughs) How many of you have heard that term lately? Now, the reality is it really has to do with what the intentions of the questions are. Because the intentions of the questions are, I want to know more about who God is. I ask questions with the intention of seeing God, with knowing more about him, and moving closer to to knowing who he is. The the purpose of the questions of a disciple is to say, I want to see God more clearly. A disciple is one who asks questions that reveal who God is so they can move closer. Where it gets dangerous and where it can get into a a different line of questioning is that I'm going to ask questions so that I can reject who God is, so I can disprove who God is, because I've already chosen distance from him. But don't stop asking questions. Ask questions with the intention of finding the answers. Has anyone ever asked you a question that was actually a statement (laughs) about you or your motive or who you are? The questions of a disciple are, are a pursuit, not of intellectual assent, but a pursuit of intimacy with this God. That's the mark of a disciple. So they had to prove that they could ask questions. Did you notice how much of the relationship between Jesus and his disciples were questions? Do you know that I has always looked at that and gone, oh my gosh, poor Jesus, that he had to be around these stupid people who didn't know anything. I mock the disciples often for their questions. I learned something new. They were doing exactly what they're supposed to do as a disciple. They were asking the rabbi a question so that he could reveal the answer about who God was and how he thinks. That's our job as a disciple. We get to ask Jesus really good questions with the intention of him showing us the answer, with the intention of him knowing, uh, of us knowing more about him and moving closer to him. So part of discipleship was asking really good questions. So that was, I think we're still in like step two. (laughs) If you proved in your exam that you could ask questions well, then you could go on to the next 
phase, which was to be a school, the school of the disciples, which is, again, basically the school of the learners. And this is where a, a rabbi would invite you into walking with him to learn the answers that he has to these questions. You'd be learning, you'd walk alongside this rabbi and you'd be learning for 18 years from age 12 to age 30. You would be learning how he interprets scripture, how he walks out his relationship with God, how he interacts with God. That was the process that Jesus went through. This is why, here, this, is, this is so interesting. So we see Jesus in the word at age 12. Age 12, which is the age of the exam of the questions. And what does it say he's doing? He's in the temple and he's wowing the teachers of the law. They marveled, it says. He's wowing the teachers of the law with his questions. So then we don't really see Jesus from age 12 to 30. We don't really know what he's doing. Like, we don't know. He's doing this. He's in the school, the disciples. I would like to know what rabbi he walked with. That'd be interesting. But he was learning this. And then at age 30, after that 18 years, now there's five stages during that time. Most of them would wash out at some stage. Most of them, at one of those stages, they would no longer be walking with the rabbi. They would have to then, at some point, if, if, you, if you, at age six, couldn't prove that you could move on to the next level, then you would go and you'd just learn the trade of your father, or you'd find a trade to have, or whatever. And then six to 12, if you didn't pass the test so that you could go into the school of the disciples, then you would go and you'd just learn the trade of your father, and you would just have a different vocation, and... And then if you were in the school of the disciples from 12 to 30, at some point, some stage, you wouldn't pass the test and you would just go and you'd learn the trade of your father and you'd have a life. And... But for those that lasted, that could go the distance until age 30, they successfully learned the rabbi's way of interpreting scripture and walking with it and walking with God. And that was called the rabbi's yoke. That was called the yoke of the rabbi, was his way of interpreting scripture. How many of us read the verse in the New Testament when it says, Jesus you know, says, take my yoke on you and learn of you? How many of us picture a wooden, um, like a plow horse yoke? I don't think that's what he's talking about. In fact, I'm pretty certain. He was saying, take on my way of viewing the world, take on my way of interpreting scripture, take on my way of walking with the Father because it's easy and it's gentle. Now what's interesting, so Jesus would have had to learn the yoke of another rabbi. Again, I'm not really sure what that looked like, who that was. Doesn't get mentioned, that doesn't seem fair. So he had to learn the yoke of another rabbi, and then everyone who makes it to stage five and successfully learns the yoke, the interpretation, the way of living of that rabbi, graduates and becomes a rabbi themselves. But step four, 
There are two different types of rabbi that you can become. Some rabbis, they graduate, and they can only, yes, they're a rabbi, but they are a rabbi without authority, which means they can only teach the yoke, the interpretation of the rabbi that trained them. They can only interpret scripture that way. They can only talk about scripture that way. They can only walk in that way. They, they can only teach the yoke of the rabbi because they are without authority. And then there's this other way you can graduate and become a rabbi, and that is you can be a rabbi with authority, which means you get to make up your own yoke. You get to, because you have proven that you can, you can rightly interpret scripture and you get, to, you get to create your own movement. 99 point, I don't have an actual percentage, but let's just pretend. 99% of the rabbis were without authority. But Jesus was a rabbi who had authority, which meant he got to create his own yoke. And what's interesting about that is when you come to that age 30, whatever, you get to the end of the five stages, this is how they knew if you were a rabbi with authority or without authority. If you became, the word is samika, by the way, a rabbi with samika or without samika. And I'm going to study that more because I just think it's interesting, but um, this is how you knew. When you became a rabbi, when you graduated all these four steps, and you became a rabbi, you were baptized publicly because you were baptized every time you changed social status. Every time you went from the next place. And so you were baptized as a rabbi, and to become a rabbi with authority, when you were baptized, there had to be two witnesses that would witness that you were a rabbi that should have that authority, that would, that would say, and I'm not, I mean, I'm sure there were certain qualifications for these witnesses. They had, you know, I don't think it could be like Joe Schmo off the street. I'm guessing it had to be somebody that mattered. And so they would baptize someone into being a rabbi, and they would need two people that would say, this is a rabbi with authority. So let's think about Jesus being baptized. Jesus was baptized and John, who was a rabbi, by the way, uh, he had gone through this process. John had disciples because he had gone through this process. I always thought John the Baptist was just kind of a rogue, and people just followed him because they didn't have anything to do. But no, he was actually went through this same process and became a rabbi. So anyway, so he's baptizing Jesus, and John speaks out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. And that was John's witness that this rabbi should have authority. And then who's the second witness? Holy Spirit, Spirit, God the Father himself, audibly speaks out, Behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that was his two witnesses. That's why then when, when we see Jesus teaching, we see Jesus teaching and people say, they marveled, it says in the word. They marveled because he spoke as one with Samika. He spoke as one with authority. 
It didn't mean that he was bossy. It didn't mean that he was yelling. It didn't mean that he was arrogant. It meant he is interpreting. He has created his own yoke. He is is showing us things about Scripture and God and the world that we've never heard before from any other rabbi. Because he is a rabbi with authority to create his own yoke. Cool, right? If that was boring, I promise we're moving into the less boring part. But I think it's important for us to recognize what do we mean when we say disciple? It means I am the disciple, I am the follower who was chosen by a rabbi, and not just a rabbi, but one of the 0.0001% of rabbis who had an authority to create their own yoke. And when I respond to the, the... invitation to follow this rabbi, what I'm responding to is I'm saying, you're going to teach me a different way to see the world and God. Jesus isn't just somebody to believe in. Our response to follow him isn't like, yeah, I believe in you. Lots of people believed in him. Who's following him? Who's saying, I'm receiving the yoke, the interpretation of how I'm meant to see the world, how I'm meant to see God, how I'm meant to walk in this place. That's that's the invitation that he's giving us when we respond to him. And then he promises, if you respond to me and you walk with me, my yoke is easy. If you were weary, if you felt disqualified, if you felt, are you going to really want to come and walk alongside a rabbi that's like, now I got to do all this stuff, and I never memorized the first five books, and now I got to do that, and you know, but he says, no, come to me, my yoke is easy. Just walk with me, and I'll show you things, how you should interpret the world. This is why I want it to be called defining discipleship instead of discipleship defined, because the kind of discipleship that we're stepping into is a discipleship that says, you are going to define how I see the world. It is a discipleship that is defining. It defines us. It defines how I'm going to interact with God. It defines how I'm going to see the world around me. It defines how I'm going to walk. It defines how I see scripture. We need to be careful what we are letting define us in this day. This is the invitation of Jesus. Jesus is not even saying, hey, let that church define you. He's saying, let me define you. Discipleship is not an activity, it's an identity. It means I've decided that I'm saying yes to you, Jesus, defining, to the way that you interpret the world. It's an invitation to follow me. Is there a cost? Yeah, there's a cost. Was there a cost for the guys at the fishing boats? Yeah. They had to leave something behind. 
to follow. They had to leave home and make their home in him. They had to be willing. Is there a cost? Sometimes we look at the, the response of discipleship to be like that first yes that we give to Jesus. Like, yes, I believe you have the ticket to heaven. If you leave it at the will call window, I will get it when I get there. That's not the invitation. The invitation is to follow him. I promise you that was a daily decision for the disciples. Because there's some weird stuff going on. He's like, hey, follow me. And they're like, wow, it's amazing. The rabbi's calling us. And then the next day, he's, he's all like in the leper colony where we're not supposed to be. And then the next day, we're going across the water, and there's a storm. And then the next day, we have all these people, and we don't have any food. And then the next day, and it had to be a daily decision. Because what's happening is, he's, he says, come and follow me. And then he starts messing with all the other yokes. He starts messing with all the other yokes of the rabbis. And they go, this is where Jesus says, you've heard it said, this is why he could do that. You've heard it said, but I say. And they're going, well, because all the other yokes had someone who's like the first and the greatest. And so they're saying, Jesus, who's going to be the first? And he says, the last. What? It's a different yoke. And it was, had to be a daily decision for them. Am I still following Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, okay. What? None of the other rabbis make their people do that. <laughs> we had to get called by this guy. But no, there was, here's what's interesting about that. Sometimes we think following Jesus means I have to, Believe all the things. I have to know every possible thing Jesus is ever going to And I'm saying yes to that. No, you're saying yes to follow me today. Say yes to follow me today. Do you know that if Jesus had said to Peter on the very first day, Peter, who do you say I am? He wouldn't have had the answer that he had. You are the Christ. No, he knew that because he followed him this day when it just required leaving the nets. And then he followed him this day when it required like being around lepers. And then he followed him this day because he, he made a choice daily. That's, that's the cost we're counting today. I'll follow you today. I love that he doesn't call us to do anything <laughs> He doesn't call us to do anything that isn't impossible without him. <laughs> That's not very nice. But then he doesn't call us to do anything that he's not saying, and we'll go do it together. Maybe you're facing some things in your life where you go, this is too hard. This is too hard. I'm, I'm too confused, or this relationship is uncomfortable, or... I, I don't know who to trust because there's all this stuff. This is too hard. And he goes, that's okay. Follow me. 
He doesn't say, hey, that's the destination. I hope you get there. He doesn't say, love like I have loved. Good luck. <laughs> but here's what we do. We begin to look at all the destinations. We begin, oh, holiness. Be holy as I am holy. Okay, that's where I'm headed. Okay, I'm headed to holiness. And he's going, okay, let's go to holiness. And I'm going, okay, holiness. I think if I go this way, and then he goes, no, I'm going to holiness. Go with me, follow me. No, I think it's like, like we just want to meet him there. We think there's points if we can find it ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, like he's going he's gonna, to, like we get extra points. I found it without you. No, the invitation is follow me. If he's calling you to something scary, like singing in front of people, he doesn't say, hope you make it. He says, follow me. Let's go together. That's the invitation that he's making to us this morning. Now, on another Sunday, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the practices of that. But what I want us to get to this morning is I want us to respond to his invitation to follow. In whatever season I'm in this morning, in whatever questioning I'm having, in whatever place of whether, whether this is the first time you've ever had him call you and say, follow me, you are not disqualified. Walk with me. Or whether you have already answered that call, but you've noticed, maybe I'm not following so closely. <laughs> maybe I'm on my way to the destination. I thought this is where you were going. This is what I thought we were doing. But I see you're, you're kind of going over that way. But I, and I need to make a decision today. Will I follow? Will I follow him rather than trying to find my own way to that place? Because here's the thing. When he said, I'm the door, sometimes we picture it like this. I went through the door. Now I'm here. And I'm just going to find my way. No, he's the door to all the things. He's the door every day. He's the door to peace right now in this moment. He's the door. And we're going to continue walking through the door. So here's my encouragement. Can we, this is, this is what I've been doing in the mornings. I will follow you. <laughs> I will follow you today. What does it look like today to follow you? And here's the cool thing. The first part of following was called walking school. And it was really just about his, like, they could tell the disciple, which disciples were disciples of which rabbi based on how they walked, like literally walked. 
I don't know if there was a lot of rabbis with limps, or I'm not sure. (laughs) But literally, they could tell by how they walked, the gait of how they walked, the speed at which they walked, the posture of how they walked. That's all he's calling us to. Sometimes we've made it super complicated. We have, we have looked at the destination and we've started working, okay, how are we going to get there? Sometimes I do that with the church at large and I go, I know this is the destination of the church and so how are we going to get there? How are we going to get all the people there? No, we're all just going to follow him. We're going to follow him right now today in what we're doing. That's the invitation that he's making to us. Even if I have questions about where is that actually going to lead? That's okay. I've decided, and that's the thing. There was a decision that happened in the disciples. I've decided I'm going to follow him. But it happened over and over and over again. The world is saying this, and this is what's going on, and that kind of resembles compassion. And Okay, but I've decided I'm going to follow you. What does that look like? Do you know (laughs) that the world is drawn to the destinations that God has put out there? We, We are created with the desire to go where God is going, love, compassion, peace. But where we get messed up is when we decide we're going to find our own way there apart from him. The call of a disciple is follow me there. Amen? Can I get the worship team up? I want us to have an opportunity this morning... And I promise we're going to talk about just some practical ways at some point. We're going to talk about that. But today it's not about that. Today it's about a decision to follow, to respond. And here's what I love. There's a saying from from that time and that culture, and it says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Maybe some of you have heard that. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And it was a thing. It was, a, it was a, a, an honor that someone would walk around covered from their knees down with the dust of their rabbi because they were walking so closely with him. That's our invitation this morning. Some of us haven't been dusty in a while. I want to be really dusty. I want to walk so close to him that his, his way of thinking and every place that he's going and is on me. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.